Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-470 of the Run Run Live podcast. So I raced. Yeah, I raced. I raced shortly after we last talked. That's right, the old Mill Cities Relay. I've been running this race with my club since, I think, 1995. And this year, I put together a great team. I had my regular running buddies, Frank, Brian, and Tim. And then I invited Just Plain Dave up from Southern Massachusetts to run with us. And I'm going to drop Dave's race report audio in here because I think it expresses the special nature of this event, probably way better than I I can do it. I've been doing this race too long, but just the, the joy, sort of the wonder of all these local running clubs converging on this relay race once a year in celebration is just sort of a wonderful thing. And I think he captures that well. It's a five-leg relay that starts in Nashua, New Hampshire, and follows the Merrimack River through Hudson, Chelmsford, Lowell, Dracut, and then ends in Lawrence. And it's all the local running clubs from the Merrimack River Valley, and it's a really special event. Uh, We got great weather. It was 30s and 40s, but windless and sunny. Uh, Dave kicked it off with a six-ish mile leg. He handed off to Brian, who ran eh, four and three-quarter mile leg. Then to me for the 2.5 mile leg. And then Tim took the the long leg, which is a nine-point-something miler along the river there. And Frank finished us off with the ankle leg with another four or five mile leg into Lawrence. And these guys just crushed it. I mean, I took the short leg because I'm a mess, but I figured I could manage two and a half miles. And I'm pretty sure I could write a whole race report on that 2.5 miles. It was like, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was a real eye opener for me. I didn't realize how much fitness I've lost and how bad shape I'm in. I came out of that handoff running hard, There was a woman there beside me, so I I pushed a little to get in front of her, you know, race tactics, right? Get out of her way, so I had a clean line. 
And I know this section of road like at the back of my hand. I used to work right there. I ran past my old office. I used to run here three or four times a week on this section. But I got less than a quarter mile into this leg, and all the warning lights, every single one on my control panel, started flashing red, and there were sirens going off. It was like I had never run before in my life. My body was telling me I was going to die. First, my body said, hey, you can't breathe. You're having an asthma attack. You're going to pass out. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. I don't have asthma. Just clean up the form, breathe, relax. And then my body said, oh, my God, dude, you're having a heart attack. You're going to die. And I had to say, no, shut up. I'm not having a heart attack. But, you know, I was starting to be not so sure. So I kept slowing it down (laughs) until... Somehow I got to a pace that felt sustainable, but I felt like I was crawling. And that woman, she passed me, and then another, and then another. And my body was saying the whole time, you're going to die. You should just walk. (laughs) I had to courageously persevere through the two and a half miles that felt like 50 miles wearing lead boots. And my conclusion was it's time for me to bury my pride and get back to work. I have reached rock bottom. So what do you do when you reach rock bottom, my friends? You ask for help. I can't do what I used to do, but I can do something, right? So, for instance, I know I ran a marathon in October using that 30-30 walk-run cadence. So I called Chris Twiggs, and I said, give me some advice. And he said, no problem. I'll set you up a plan. Three days a week for a hypothetical marathon somewhere around, oh, let's just say Patriot's Day. Why? Because I'm a working dog. I need to work. It's in my nature. And this is a new journey, perhaps a new season for me, an opportunity to learn something. I'm I'm going to get some mileage back up and hope that the knee repairs itself. I'll get lots of zone one and zone two to build fitness as I get back in shape here. And if and when I can run hard again, at least I'll have that fitness to build on. And I'll have patience. And if at the end of this cycle the body responds and it's fit and healthy, I'll spin up something more aggressive for the next cycle over the summer. And I'm a week in, a couple weeks in, and I started out with a 10-mile run using that 30-30 cadence, and it went fine. And it also gives me time to practice healing with Ollie on the leash. So that's the new plan. That's the new plan. Today, we talked to Christina, and I saw Christina on Facebook. She was talking about stuff, and it just seemed to me like she had a good story to tell, so I reached out, and it ended up being a very thoughtful and powerful interview. And you might have noticed today's theme, which is patience. And in section two, I'll talk to you about the power of patience. And in section one, we're going to have Dave's audio. Sometimes we make the most progress when we learn to forgive ourselves, when we learn to be patient with ourselves, and yes, maybe even love ourselves. You can use those addictive qualities of your running life, not as a hammer to beat yourself into shape, into performance, but as soft power to support and enhance what's already good inside you. So you can change that that flamethrower into a A patience thrower. Patience. Patience leads to confidence and healthy decisions. On with the show.
It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Well, hello, Kevin and all you extra milers. This is Just Plain Dave following up with the second half, the results of the Squanacook River Runners uh, Mill City Relay Race. We had a blast. It was a great day. It was a beautiful, sunny calm day um, to be running in the Merrimack River Valley. There were a total of 176 teams that towed the line for this five-person relay. And it is interesting running in Metro Boston, right? So the only people who are eligible to run in this are from run clubs. So clubs that have been established and been around for a while and participate in a lot of other kind of races in the southern New England, metro Boston area. Um, the, this is a fast, fast race. So I thought I'd look, look at a couple of the numbers. So our team, so five guys in our 50s, um, we came in seventh out of 17 teams in our category. Um, and 55th overall. So there were 176 teams. We came in 55th. So call that like, you know, top third. We're not the slowest old men you're going to meet, you know? So our total time was three hours and 13 minutes. That's averaging 709 per mile for this 27 mile course. That's a respectable pace. I got to say, um, it is just fascinating to see how, how these teams did. So that got us into, uh, 55th overall. There, I looked at the results, there were 152 teams that if you took their pace, their average pace, minutes per mile of nine minutes and nine seconds per mile, if you draw that line, so 909 per mile is a four-hour marathon, 152 out of the 176 teams ran that pace or faster. It is just insane how many competent, capable, qualified, fast runners were in this race. So 152 out of 176 were sub four hour marathon pace. 41 teams ran at a pace faster than what would be a three hour marathon. And the winner's team, the winner's team pace, if they turned that into a marathon, would have run a 218, a two hour and 18 minute marathon. That would have won the Boston Marathon in 2018, the terrible bad weather year. Can you believe that? So it was absolutely a joy to run in New England with folks from all over the uh, all over the area, but running with their clubs, with their friends, hanging out, and of course, part of the fun is the celebration afterwards. And uh, so the whole event ends at a bar in Lowell. I'm sorry, in Lawrence, called the Clatta Club, good old fashioned Irish bar. Um, but to avoid some of the crowds, our team of me, uh, Captain Chris, Brian, Frank, and Tim, we went to the Spicket River Brewery, and it was outstanding. We had great food, some really good uh, adult beverage options, and it was just a great way to spend a little bit of extra time with the fellas after completing our fun run. So that is the race recap for Revenge of the Goons Part 2. That was the name of our team. And we were representing the Squanacook River Runners at the Mill City Relays. And so there you go, my friends. Happy trails and enjoy your extra mile. And now for today's featured interview. Christina with a K. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't Welcome. mess that up. <laughs> Thank you. Give us the 200 words on who you are and what you do. 200 words. I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete since I was about 19 years old. I dabbled in professional downhill mountain bike racing. I did a ton of high altitude mountaineering, raced dirt bikes for a little bit, and then somehow found myself running in the mountains and became an elite trail runner for a few years. And after hitting a pretty horrific mental block and a huge life change, I kind of had to scrape all the pieces off the ground and rebuild myself. So now I'm just whatever I want to be each day. It could be something different. Cyclist, runner, for lack of a better term, uh, health and wellness coach and dental hygienist. And you're up in one of my favorite parts of the country, which is up near the White Mountains. I love the White Mountains. I used to have an office in Quebec City and I'd drive back and forth and people didn't know where I was. They didn't know how long it took to stop at the gap and run uh, Falling Waters Trail up Mount Lafayette uh, halfway. You know, I had a stopping point for my running stuff on and get lost up in the mountains. <laughs> so I love it up there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Some races? You do some races up there? Yeah. So I host some pretty fun races up in the White Mountains. As of right now, I do, I guess our easy peasy one is the 6, 12, 24 hour White Lake Ultras, which is a three mile loop. People wear costumes and drink and just have fun for as many hours as they decide to do. And this past year, we had our first 200 mile finishers. The Chikora Mountain Race starts and finishes in a field. And that's about a 14 mile, um, we bring you three quarters of the way up the mountain and then make you run all the way back down and then send you back up and over the summit. But there's like beer and food trucks and a party waiting for everybody. And then the Kilkenny Ridge Race is a 25 and 50 mile trail race, which is a totally different experience. That one, I have to be a little more strict and not as playful because the hazards are real. There's literally nowhere to drop out of the race unless you're doing the 50 miler and you're at the turnaround. And definitely a couple other races in the books. Really cool one next year, Race the Cog. Runners get to literally run alongside the tracks with trains full of screaming spectators and try to beat the cog to the top of Mount Washington. Oh, I'm, and we I'm have Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have three different speeds the trains will be going. So there's like the fast, the intermediate, and then more of a hiking pace. And all your crap gets brought to the top. And then you have the option of the ride down the train, which I think is pretty darn cool if you've never ridden on the cog. Red Bull's going to be there. So you'll get to have like the full bling from Red Bull and Delta Dental's bringing a jumbotron and chip timing. I've hired photographers to be all over the course, and it's going to be an epic party. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've run the classic Mount Washington road race once. Um, yeah. This averages about 1,100 feet of climbing per mile on rocky I think, terrain. I think the cog is probably steeper than the road, right? Oh, yeah. Way yeah. steeper. Because it goes directly up the side of the mountain. It doesn't go back and forth. No, it tends to business. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. So you're a downhill mountain bike racing. That's nuts. I've never done that. Maybe my self-preservation skills are too high. <laughs> That's the one where people strap on all the like padding and, and equipment and, and just scream down the mountain. You know what? You just hold your breath. As soon as that thing beeps, you leave the gate and you hope to God you don't end up in the hospital. Unfortunately, my nickname was Danger Girl because I spent more time in the hospital than on my bike. But I did make it to the professional level and hopped my bike off some 10-foot cliffs and did some pretty badass shit. So after a really terrible injury, um, my doctor had the vegetable talk with me. So stopped racing downhill mountain bikes. I still ride recreationally. And that's when I turned to high altitude mountaineering. Yeah. If anybody wants to see some crazy stuff, go on YouTube. There's a lot of those races. 
YouTube where they do that because there, it's not a road. It's a rough single path, rock, root, drop, all that crazy stuff, lots of turns, and they just do it at high speed. It's not so good for you to live through that. I bet you have some titanium pins in your body. Fortunately, I never had to have surgery, just a lot of broken bones. Awesome. So, um, and you're also, one of the things we have in common is our uh, border collie thing, right? You're a border, border collie person. Best running dog in the world. They really are. Especially up here. Yeah, he's pretty incredible. The stuff that border collies can do and they never get tired. And of course, you go for a 20 mile run and the dog wants to play Frisbee for the next three hours. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're hanging out on the couch. You can't move. The dog's bringing the ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. And hey, 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 throw it. Yeah. So one of the things you are focused on now, and this is sort of the, the deep part of our conversation, is the interaction of mindset and running. And what I've always talked about is the synchronicity or synergy or whatever you want to call it, the mind-body connection which is one of the things I really love about running, especially trail running, is that it just naturally becomes mindful. It just helps you connect your body and, and your mind. And when you get there, it becomes a really wonderful thing, right? I was a, to a guy I work with who got a, a Peloton treadmill and he lives in New York City. He's working out every day and he feels great about himself. And I'm like, you know, you got to get outside. You got to get outside. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you seen the mind-body connection, the mindset? How do you use mindset to improve your training? Well, I always ran pissed off, angry, um, running from demons. I'm a former addict and just had, I mean, if something bad was going to happen, it happened to me. And I, looking back, I realized a lot of it was just I didn't really care about myself. But I was fearful when my life went to hell about a year and a half ago, and I had to start scraping all my pieces off the ground and decided I was going to be nothing other than happy. I thought it was going to destroy my athleticism. And having been a really fast athlete, you don't want to lose that. And everybody's always fueled by their demons, fueled by anger. So I took a chance on myself. And one of the things I found is as I started to find self-love, I started to forgive people that have hurt me in my life. And I just have this, like, I love everybody, whether you're so-called good person or bad person. I just, I love everybody for exactly who they are. And I love myself for who I am and started playing around through, um, I have two friends that just bugged me to try to go fast. So I was like, fine, I'm not coming out of retirement, but I'm going to try to do some fast runs. And I went after some Strava segments and I'm private, so I don't share whether I got a segment or not and totally blew them out of the water. And a lot of the people I took these from were like half my age. And I'm like, damn, there must be something to this mindfulness. And I started playing around with my training, which is half the miles I used to run and half the speed work that I used to do and focused on being happy. And I wasn't really public about this, but I guess I will be because it kind of plays into this. I ran a 40 mile race last weekend. I haven't pinned a bib on since 2018 because I was just had so much PTSD and it was an accomplishment to do that. And I didn't look at my watch and I just ran really happy started drinking fireball during the race. So of course now I'm like drinking booze and my friend paces me for the last lap and we're getting ready to cross the finish line. I was 11 minutes off the course record and 10 minutes off of beating all the boys. So, and I was goofing off and I'm yeah. like, well, I guess this really ties everything together that if you can be happy and relaxed and not running from your demons and not running pissed off and stressed out and angry, you can actually 
be pretty damn fast. And my recovery was, I, I don't even feel like I ran. Mm. So I think having your head in a really good place allows your body to recover as well. Yeah. So like you said, you see this, I, I know I see this in the ultra conditions specifically. There's a lot of people who are running from alcohol addiction, use like not just your, your top 10 bad things, right? Yeah. Seems like what they're doing is they're taking that negative energy and then bundling it up. And then they're using that as fuel for their athletic, right? Yeah. People who do the same thing in a professional environment, right? Well, they'll use that anger to (laughs) achieve things as fuel. So the question I come up with is how do you do it if you remove that anger, if you remove that from the equation, that negative energy, how do you replace that with positive energy to do the same thing and do it better, right? Yeah. What's that mindset? How do you do that? It's not overnight. It takes months. It's playing. I have these stupid desensitization. You basically desensitize people through playing games and the games are dumb and ridiculous. And I started by obviously experimenting on myself. But once you emotionally detach yourself from those demons, your life and your sport take on a whole new meaning. And because you're not running angry, I think that your body can perform a million times better because, I mean, there have been a million studies about stress on the human body. Cortisol buildup, inflammation, inability to recover, you're not sleeping, your heart rate's elevated, your blood pressure's elevated. So all these negative things that physically come from emotional stress are now gone. So now your vital signs are in a better place. You're recovering better. You're not craving the shitty food all the time because I think we're kind of programmed to like you feel like crap you're angry and you're just going after things you really shouldn't be eating but now I tend to crave healthier food of course on my long run day I eat like shit but that's just my special day that I look forward to each week but I feel like I take better care of myself I set a reasonable time for me to go to bed I make sure I'm getting sleep and it all comes back to falling in love with yourself which is really the essence of everything I've been practicing is you can't move forward with anything in your life or excel in anything in your life as much as you should be able to if you don't love yourself. Yeah. And I think it's a failing of our culture right now that we're lionizing people who burn the candle at both ends, right? This whole hustle yeah. and where they could probably do a lot better by doing a lot less, right? Yeah. It's interesting to me. I think it's a, a cultural moment for us. And the pandemic actually has probably had a lot of right that people think about this yeah. stuff. Well, how many times has somebody said, oh, are you busy? And you're like, oh, my God, I'm so busy. They go, that's awesome. Wow, you're so right. busy. Well, that's yeah. not awesome. You shouldn't be proud of being busy. <laughs> right. Or the top <laughs> track is everybody should take care of themselves. Everybody take the time you need. But the reward system is look at that guy. He stayed yeah. up all night long and did X, Y, Z. Right. So. Yeah. There's a mixed message there. Not so mixed. And that, that guy's having a heart attack at 45, by the way. <laughs> right. Know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's so, so I think it comes back around to another thing that you talk about, which is the self-love. So what we're saying is a lot of this, this training that we're doing with that anger isn't actually training. It's more punishment. Yeah. It's attracting from your ability more than it's adding to your ability because you think you think oh i need to run harder i need to run more i need to do coach says 10 i'll do 12 sort of stuff right yeah exactly so it sounds to me like that's if i hate myself i'm gonna do that (laughs) myself i'm gonna follow what coach says right well it's like oh i switched this addiction for a healthy addiction or well i could be sitting there drinking beer instead of running five thousand miles and getting a stress fracture and yes is it better but 
it's really not the solution. And I think that was another huge thing that I've learned. I don't get injured anymore because I'm not like, oh God, this is terrible. I need to run another 10 miles because I'm having a bad day. It's being completely, and I know this sounds selfish, you have to completely fall in love with yourself and you have to love yourself for every single thing that you are and every single thing that you are not. And once you accept that, and once you make peace with whether it's PTSD, trauma, all the fucking labels that people throw at you, I'm a survivor, I'm a victim, I'm a recovering addict, those negative words make you feel pretty shitty. Like subconsciously, they make you feel shitty because now you believe that you are limited by one of these labels that either, and I've done therapy, the therapist throws out the thing, victim, survivor, blah, blah, blah. So now you feel like a piece of crap. But if you can it's no because longer... Because they're, they're narrowing your world, right? They're yeah. In, they're not giving you space, right? No. You able to give yourself space to be whatever. And then they have support groups. Well, let's put you in with a group of these addicts or survivors or victims, which is great to have people to talk to. But you are put in this bubble that you're never going to leave. And right. freedom is when you can leave that bubble and be like, yeah, I was an addict. I was raped at one point. Yeah, I was raped. It it happened. It's it's a part of your story. And once you forgive the person that hurt you, you don't have to go to their face and say it, but and make peace with the situation and forgive yourself for allowing it to happen. Because 90% of the time, the things that happen to you that are bad happen because you don't love yourself enough to tell somebody it's not okay to treat me that way. And I think that's a hard thing for people to understand. Yeah. So you think, let me back up on that. So you, now you've got to the point, which is a, the, the final sort of evolution of this is where you're helping other people. Yeah. You're a coach, but you're the fitness slash mindset slash lifestyle coach. My training is really unique and I can describe that in a bit. It's, it's different. <laughs> Difference good, right? Uh, well, it's, it's intense because I am not just giving you a training plan. I am not letting you ghost me. I am riding your ass because you're probably going to do fewer miles than you would normally do and less speed work. But every conversation that we have each week via the visual Zoom, which I like because you can't bullshit me if I see your face, we're going to talk about stresses in your life, issues. Why don't you like yourself? How are we going to make you like yourself? What trauma are you trying to hide from? How do we make peace with that trauma? And I don't move forward until you've accomplished each goal that I've set for you each week. So if it takes three weeks, it takes three weeks. And with my clients, I think the most amazing thing that I'm starting to see with people is their personal relationships with their partners are flourishing. They are running faster and further than they've ever gone and they're not getting injured. I am seeing our first visit where they look like stressed out crazy people and then they're smiling and relaxed and happy. And these are the things that all of us really deserve to have. And I think from my perspective, selfishly, it's pretty damn rewarding to take somebody from here and put them over there because that's my job. My job is to, most of us know where we are. We know where we want to be, but we don't know how to get there. And that's what I do is I'm that bridge you cross to get yeah, there. Building the bridge. Yeah. 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 So who's your target audience? My target audience, I prefer athletes because athletes are cool. I can relate. I know and I love athletes that have former addiction issues, have been in abusive relationships, people that are running from their demons. I love those types of athletes because I get it. I've been there and I know exactly what's going through their heads. And so what's your methodology? Playing games. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, that's it's really, it's games. We play games and we 
change the games as the person transitions during their journey because it should be fun and it shouldn't be stressful. And I never make it also breaks the frame. It breaks the frame of reference, right? So they're thinking about these things in a certain box and you're breaking that box so they can think about it in a different way by changing the way they think. It is. And their workouts are different. I am not making you stress out about your training schedule. If you didn't hit your workouts, we talk about what happened and what's going to help get you to where you need to be. But I've been coached before and you're either like, you can hear the disappointment and like, and it's all done through email and emails or they don't want to deal with you because there's that whole mental piece that we're dealing with. Like, why didn't you hit your workouts last week? Let's talk about the issues you encountered. How can we work through that next week? And it's like this full body experience with training. So you're basically getting mental therapy overcoming PTSD and trauma, and you're getting a fitness plan, which I love talking to my clients once a week because I think I can do more keeping their schedule smaller. You see a four-week training plan and it stresses you out. Everyone can handle um, seven to 10 days. Yeah, I've, I've done it both ways, right? You know, I can I can manage myself pretty well with just a plan. I've done, yeah. that, done my own coaching as well. But I do like the once a week thing where you don't see it until Sunday. Yeah. Because then... You don't have to worry about it, right? No. Otherwise, you've got this thing on the calendar three weeks out and stress about for three weeks. Well, you don't know how that person is going to feel in three weeks. And that's the biggest issue I've had with giving people three, four weeks out is life happens. Their kid's sick. They break their leg. There's, I mean, things happen. So if you keep it seven to 10 days, you can constantly modify the schedule based on their life and where they're at at that moment. All right. So how do people find you? You can go to my website, christinafolsic.com or rockhopperraces.com. Either one is an easy way to get in touch with me. So spell your name. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck with my name. It's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-F-O-L-C-I-K. And that's .com. And Rock Hopper Races is pretty obvious. And I'm on social media as Danger Girl 3.0. So pretty easy to find me on social media. (laughs) More time in the hospital than on the bike. (laughs) You're you're gonna have to change all your avatars to like, uh, I don't know, Bliss Girl or something. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for the chat. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to look into your races. They seem like my cup of tea. When's that mountain race, the 15-miler? That one is June 4th. And the thing with Rock Hopper races, they are more of a party with running involved. All my races are like a mullet. Business in the front, party in the back. We all know who's having more fun. Yeah. <laughs> the trail races are like that anyhow, right? They are. Yep. Yeah. You know, so food trucks and I have DJs and I mean, it's just, it's an experience. All right. Well, I'll, we're at the top of the hour. I'll let you go. Thanks for All coming. Right. Appreciate yeah, it. Nice to chat with you. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. You too. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Patience, let me tell you a story. My wife is the oldest of three sisters, all very close in age. And when they get together, Yeah, they love to push each other's buttons. And I'm really not sure how my father-in-law survived with these three in the house together and uh, survived all that drama. But now that they all have adult children, it amplifies the button-pushing opportunities. They're not bad people. They love each other. It's a family thing, right? So Thanksgiving, we were to head out to her parents' house, and all the siblings would be there, and all the kids... And before we left to go, I had a talk with my wife and daughter about patience. 
When you get riled up by someone pushing your buttons, it's up to you how to respond. It's a holiday, I said. This is your family, I said. I want you to have patience. I want you to be kind. And I'm not sure if I had anything to do with it, but we had a lovely day and no one left in a huff. So over the holidays, my friends, there are many opportunities to practice patience. And patience is a practice. What is patience? Well, patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Patience is more important now than ever before. We live in this weird, kinetic, impatient culture. The current times celebrate shortcuts, hacks, instant delivery, efficiency above all else. Our time is so scarce, we get triggered into impatience very easily. But why do you care? You care because impatience leads to anger and frustration. Impatience leads to stress and anxiety. Impatience causes you to make bad decisions. This mindset of always being impatiently focused on the destination causes you to sacrifice the experience of the journey. Impatience removes joy from your life. Impatience has been shown to be a predictor of mental illness, especially for depression. But if you can practice patience in your life, what are the benefits? You make better decisions because you step back and listen to your gut more. You're not rushed into it. Patience allows you to have a longer-term viewpoint for better long-term decisions. Patience is very good for your relationships, especially for the important close relationships where there is ample opportunity for button pushing. When you practice patience in a relationship, it makes you kinder, and kindness makes you a more likable partner, a more likable person. Patience increases your personal power because you are able to stay in control of your impulses. You can avoid being that person who snaps and avoid the damage those types of reactions bring into your life. Patient people have more hope. Patient people make more progress towards their goals. Patient people are healthier. They sleep better. So how do we practice patience? And the key is in the practice. Understand what triggers you. Is it certain people? Is it certain situations? What happens when you lose your patience? Your heart rate goes up. Your blood pressure goes up. Your body starts pumping in those fight-or-flight chemicals. Think of a situation recently where you've lost your patience. Step through it in your mind. What happened? How could you have reacted differently? So when you know your triggers, you can catch that response. You can step back. And and when I say step back, I mean physically step back if you can, because this is the physical manifestation of detaching or disengaging. And then you take a deep breath. A deep breath or two will bring you back into your mindfulness. So move this loss of patience out of your animal brain and into your big brain, right? Think about it. Does it make any sense for you to get angry over something that's out of your control? Can you make the truck in front of you move by getting stressed out about it? 
what does it accomplish except to make you mad and maybe shorten your life? And many times we are triggered by other people's problems. Why are you allowing other people to control your state of mind? Step back. Take control. Move out of your own skin and maybe into empathy. Help that person holding everyone else up in line. That's what I do on airplanes. When someone is struggling to jam their overpacked bag into the overhead, instead of worrying about why this person overpacked the bag or why they are holding everyone up, I ask them if they need help, and then I help them. Many of the things we stress about are just made-up rules. You're creating stress inside yourself because of some made-up rule. Like, if I have to wait more than 10 minutes, I lose the game somehow. Why are you making up rules to create misery in your life? Take back control. Make up some new rules that serve you better. Trust the universe. You can see that there is a connection here between mindfulness and patience. The more mindful you are, the more practicing patience becomes a tool for you. You can see that the power of patience is that it controls the way you react to a situation. It's not the situation that's causing you stress. It's the way you are reacting to it. And that, my friends, I know it's hard to take, but it's under your control. And once you realize that your reaction is the key, you can stop resisting and work with the impatient moment. And most importantly, this mindfulness allows you to be patient with yourself as well. So what are some specific elements of this practice? Well, you can always use that dead space, waiting in traffic or waiting in line to your advantage, right? A few minutes of reading, maybe a few meditation breaths. And I'm that weird guy who stretches or practices standing on one leg while waiting in line. So you can use that dead space to your advantage. But remember, impatience is only discomfort. You're not going to die. As endurance athletes, we practice working with discomfort all the time. So practice relaxing into the discomfort of impatience in the same way. Accept it and work with it. Impatience can be an indicator or a symptom of something else in your life as well, a canary in the coal mine, so to speak. So ask yourself what else is going on that is causing your shortness of patience. And practice changing your self-labeling, right? Change your mindset and your self-description to, I'm a patient person, or I practice patience, or I practice kindness. I actually printed out a slide. I created a slide and printed out a slide that says, Patience, Kindness, Gratitude. And I keep it in my office where I can see it. So in a review, my friends, patience, patience, patience. Practice recognizing your triggers. And when you start to move into an impatient pattern, step back, take a deep breath or two or three and detach. Become mindful. Consider the source of your stress. Reframe that moment to your advantage. Be patient. Be kind. Be grateful. It's all tied together. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have practiced patience through to the end of episode 4-470 of the Run Run Live podcast. 
and I'm running again, and I'm training, and I'm casting around to see if I can find a charity bib for Boston. If I can get through this particular Boston, I get another 15 minutes because I'll be moving up an age group. And if not, that's okay too. I can find something else to do. Two business trips this month. Two business trips in December. It's been great to get back on the road. I hope I can keep it up, but it looks like the world is closing in again. Uh, Ollie, Ollie the Collie, he's doing okay. He's still batshit crazy. <laughs> he's still a lot of work. My wife, Yvonne, had to take him to training alone again this week because I was traveling. I was out of town. And last time after training, she couldn't move her arm for a week. He's a handful. And we got a little bit of snow on the ground today. Not enough to shovel. It's okay. I broke my old snowshoes and I need a new pair. Maybe I'll get another pair. But where I live, this location has always been just above the rain-snow line, meaning that when a storm comes through, we get snow, while maybe 50 miles to the south of us, they get they get rain and ice. And it feels like that shifted now, and we get mostly rain and ice now instead of snow. I'd rather have the snow, I think. I've started hitting the pool at the gym, swimming. They have a new system, a reservation system. You can go online and reserve a lane, and that takes a lot of the stress out of the process. You can reserve that lane for 30 minutes, and everyone seems to respect it, so it's a good a good system. I haven't talked about my Apocalypse podcast for a while, after the Apocalypse, and it's doing very well. I got, what, 11,500 downloads last month um, into the ninth episode of the second season, and apparently Audible is recommending it to people, so I'm getting all these new listeners it's still fun. It's still super fulfilling to write, construct, and then listen to the final product. I have a guy read it for me, Robert, and he does a great job. So it's it's really compelling. I converted that first season that I did into a 50,000-word manuscript, which I'm publishing as a serial on Amazon Vela, and it has zero, zero traction, Amazon Vela. But you have to have what? Patience. But think about that, right? This time last year, I started laying out and publishing this story, one chapter at a time, every two weeks, and with consistency and patience, now I have a manuscript. I have 50,000 downloads, and I have a bunch of new virtual friends. Patience is a superpower. So be patient, be mindful, be kind, and I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Because this is the physical manifest. Wow. <laughs>